you want to follow along this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, starting at verse 62. There's a lot going on in the world today. Uh, we've got more access to what's going on in the world today than ever before. Uh, it's truly a bizarre time that we live in, that we can all get on our devices and, and see exactly what's happening in a country across the world. Um, for many, uh, this is cause for doubt and skepticism. Uh, you know, since the Gen Xers uh, have been on the earth, it seems like the world has become a more skeptical place. And a lot of times people tend to blame the Gen Xers, but I think every generation is just growing more and more skeptical. Uh, doubting uh, the goodness of God uh, and doubting the goodness of men. And uh, as, we, as we go through the wars and, and different things that are going on in our lives and around us, uh, it's easy for us to get that way, to be skeptical, to be full of doubt. I know that uh, I kind of have become a skeptical person whenever considering other people sometimes, and maybe you felt that as well. Uh, but whenever I look at my children, I just see such optimism and such, you know, uh, innocence and, and love and thinking the best in people. And I know that I was once that way, too. And I know that I can be that way. I really want to be that way uh, and have that kind of optimism. But it is a struggle for me to have that. Uh, and, and I hope that as we study the text that we'll be studying this morning, that uh, maybe there will be a sense of optimism that's created inside of us. Uh, that we'll walk out of here with hope instead of uh, dread or fear. Uh, that we will, instead of being upset uh, about how unchangeable everything is, that maybe we'll start to think anything is possible uh, because of what we're going to be reading about. Our text this morning is the most significant event in the history of mankind um, because it signifies that we all have hope for life after this life is over. That's available for all. Uh, and so as we, as we study this text together, I hope that it will have a significant impact on our attitudes and our mindsets and what we uh, decide to do and how we decide to live our lives. Matthew, I think, designed this text so that we would change our attitudes from any kind of skepticism to having some kind of optimism. Let's start into our text as, as uh, we just studied the Lord's Supper and, and just thought about the Lord's death. Uh, we've, we've recently studied that in the past few weeks, and now we get to a discussion about the resurrection. And notice uh, Jesus was buried, uh, and, and, and you remember Joseph of Arimathea had, had buried him. Some women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, uh, and, and also uh, the, the mother of John and, and James, were there. They watched all of that take place, and then we move forward. Verse 62 says, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the end of the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse 
than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. As we read through this text, it becomes obvious that the religious leaders uh, understood what Jesus had said. That Jesus had foretold his death, that he would die on a cross in Jerusalem, and that he would be resurrected from the dead on the third day. And so these leaders say, well, he's, he's, he's told everybody he's going to do that. The last thing we want to happen is for people to start thinking he did it. And so they start to uh, make plans to try to prevent people from saying that he did it. And they don't think at all for a second that it's possible for Jesus to rise from the dead. Uh, I don't know what they think about all the people Jesus has already risen from the dead. Um, We know that they try to kill Lazarus again to try to silence the the discussion about Lazarus' resurrection from the dead. But obviously here, they don't really have any doubt. Jesus is most certainly dead. They witnessed his crucifixion. They witnessed the spear going into the side and the blood and water coming out. The lifeless body of Jesus was before them. They were content with that. He's dead as dead can be. There is no way he's coming back from the dead. And so they come up with uh, an idea that they're starting to worry about, that maybe the disciples would come and steal his body and then claim that Jesus has risen from the dead, and they decide to prevent that. They're not going to let anything fraudulent happen. They're not going to allow people to be deceived into following Jesus after he's dead. They want to squash that and say, no, he is dead, absolutely. He's still in the tomb. It's sealed. If we were to open it, then you would see his body in there. And so they bring this before Pilate. It's in your best interest too, Pilate. You don't want them believing that Jesus rose from the dead uh, because you have killed him as well. Pilate agrees, grants them a guard, and they seal the tomb so that uh, the tomb can't be opened secretly without anybody knowing it and uh, some kind of Houdini trick would be performed uh, that, that Jesus would be removed whenever they open it up. All of this takes place, it seems, on the Sabbath day. Notice verse 62, it says the next day, that is the day after the day of preparation. It seems as though uh, they've been, they, they prepared for the Sabbath, and then on the Sabbath, these things are spoken. The day before, the first day of the week, Sunday, and making preparations and pr- protecting the body of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this is, this all really works out well in God's plan, right? Like the, the more that they try to prevent the stealing of the body of Jesus, the more uh, it's going to become obvious that the disciples didn't steal the body of Jesus. So all of this setup is, is really in God's best interest. Verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, pause there for a second. We see Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, who's the mother of uh, James and Joseph. Uh, We're not exactly sure 
what, which Mary that is, but uh, they were followers. We go back in the last chapter. They were following Jesus. They were tending to Jesus and caring for Jesus all throughout his ministry. They were watching from a distance as Jesus was crucified and hung on a cross. They paid close attention to how Jesus was taken down from the cross, how he was carried to the tomb. It says that they sat there and watched all of this take place so that what they're about to do can happen, so that they could come in on the third day and do what? Well, the text doesn't really say us. It says um, they, on the Sabbath, toward the first day of the week, Mary, Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. doesn't say exactly what they're going to the tomb for, but obviously they had seen it all. They, they knew what was, what was happening, and, and now they're, they're coming on this third day, Early in the morning, it says that the, toward the dawn, before the sun comes up, they get up, they're going that way, and they're going for a reason. And the reason is not given to us by Matthew. He didn't tell us why they're going to the tomb on the third day. I find it fascinating. Uh, the other Gospels tell us it was because they had prepared ointment and, and they were coming to prepare the body. But Matthew for some reason, leaves that out. And I find that fascinating. Uh, why does he do that? Well, I, I'm speculating, so bear with me. But I think he gives us the impression that these women have some optimism about them. They're not just coming because he's dead and they've got to fulfill this kind of chore and stuff like that, but they want to go and they want to see the tomb and they want to be near. And they, maybe inside of them there's a sense of wonder. You know, Jesus said three times in the book of Matthew, who knows how many times he actually said it, I must go to Jerusalem so that the leaders can crucify me and then I can rise on the third day. And so I just kind of wonder, is there inside of them, maybe they're coming with all their ointments to prepare the body, but is there inside of them just kind of a wonder, a hope, a, a desire that maybe he is risen from the dead? Let's see what happens. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So these women come to see the tomb and while they're on their way, uh, there's an earthquake. And as they show up, just imagine all the soldiers are laying around like they're dead. And there's this angel that's sitting up on top of the rock uh, that's, that's looking at them and telling them, don't be afraid. You've got all these other guys that are so scared and, and so weak that they're unable to stand, that they're probably passed out from all the events that have just taken place. And these women standing among them told, don't be afraid. You're seeking Jesus who was crucified. 
He's not here. Jesus has risen from the dead. Everything Jesus said he would do, he has done. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Can you imagine the joy, the excitement, uh, the wonder at hearing this news, at seeing this scene, and what that would have been like for these two women? Then they're told, you're going to go and tell the disciples about this. They're given a mission, and Jesus will go before you to Galilee, and you will see him there. But then something interesting happens. Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So they're told Jesus is going to go before them, yet here is Jesus meeting them, greetings, uh, you know, and, and they are so excited. Notice they fall at his feet and they worship him. Imagine those emotions that you, that you would have in experiencing the one who you saw yourself crucified, dying, dead, wrapped up, put into a tomb, standing before you alive. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. You think they were afraid? Well, it tells us, doesn't it? Verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. There's a mixture of fear and great joy. You know, as, we, as we read this, we might just think, oh yeah, I, would, I bet they're just so excited. They can't believe it. They're, they're, they're looking forward to telling everybody all of this information. But what's fascinating about this story is these are women. And that might sound misogynistic in our day to say that, but in those days, women's testimonies were not held in any regard. They were not believed. They were not listened to. Um, women were not uh, held up as equal in society. And so can you imagine having been raised and, and living in that society and then being the one who was the first to find out this wonderful news and now you're supposed to be the one to go and share that. And the struggle that you might have in people accepting what you're going to say. And not only that... There's guards all around that have been knocked out that, 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 that aren't really able to do anything, but you are there, and the body of Jesus is missing. I mean, maybe some fear about uh, what accusations might be brought against you. And here Jesus comes to them in the midst of their mixture of fear and joy, and he says, you don't need to be afraid. I'm alive. It's just kind of opening their minds up to no more fear. I have risen from the dead. There's no reason to be uh, worried or concerned anymore because I am alive and I am with you. And what a statement it is that Jesus would show himself first to these women. Showing that love, that he doesn't have the same barriers before uh, one gender versus another. That, that he loves them all and that he is 
He's putting those who were the most faithful, those who were the most steadfast in their devotion to him, he's putting them first before all others because they were the ones who showed up at his tomb on the first day of the week. It's a beautiful picture, I think, that would speak volumes to Matthew's Jewish audience about the way Jesus views women. Well, we keep reading in verse 11. We kind of get the rest of the story. Uh, It says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, "Tell, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Notice how the the story of Jesus' resurrection is sandwiched between the the preparation to prevent anybody from uh, stealing the body to the cover-up of the body of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. It's as though uh, the skepticism is at the beginning and at the end, and then the optimism is in the middle, and there's this reward for the optimism uh, that is really the central point of this whole message. But here at the end, we see the Pharisees listening to the guards' testimony. The guards reveal to the Pharisees all that they saw. I don't know how much of it they saw, but they reveal it, and something happened, something happened that they saw, uh, the, the earth did quake, uh, maybe a bright light, maybe they saw the angel and they fell like dead men at the, the feet of the angel. But they reveal all that to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees don't even wonder about it. They don't even question it. Because in their mind, it can't be true. It can't be. They've already decided. Jesus cannot rise from the dead. Well, why not? Because they built their life around something different. They've made everything in their life hinge on Jesus' death and for him to stay dead. And I think there's an important message here. As we, as we round up and, and finish the book of Matthew, we've seen so much about these religious leaders, haven't we? I mean, how they've reacted to the teachings of Jesus, to the miracles of Jesus. They've doubted him. They've been skeptical of him. They've said, no, he's not really doing that by God's power. He's doing it by the power of demons. And, and they've, they've uh, picked at him and, and they've uh, said he's, he's, a, he's a heretic and, and eventually destroyed him. But here they have the the truth that they have set a guard in front of the tomb to prevent disciples from stealing the body of Jesus. They've sealed the tomb. They've done everything that they could. They went to bed that night knowing there's no possible way. And they wake up the next morning finding out that there was an earthquake and that an angel appeared. And they just can't believe it. I think it's important for us to notice as we study through this that skepticism, though it does have value and it might be good in some cases to be skeptical, 
whenever it's joined to an, with an evil heart, creates total blindness. Things that are true cannot be true because I've built my life around the opposite. And to change everything and to follow after what might actually be true is just too difficult. There's too much red tape. There's too many consequences that I would have to endure. So they've gotten to the point where they don't care about what is true. They care about what is convenient and will help them. So they say, oh, you must have fallen asleep. Here, take some money. Make sure that's what you tell everybody and leave out all the other stuff. Do you know anybody like that who is just so blinded to the truth? Skeptical, and it's joined with an evil heart. What a horrible, horrible way to live. What a horrible picture of somebody who's so stubborn and strong-willed that they can't accept this good news. As we study through this, I hope that we understand the difference between the skeptical mind and the optimistic mind. And we understand that we need to be optimistic whenever we think about God. Uh, as we look at this story, we see that God has been faithful to Jesus. God saves Jesus from death. He is not forsaken. He is not forgotten. That's who God is. That's who God's always been. That's who Jesus knew God would prove to be, and he did it. And so we don't need to be skeptical or afraid that uh, maybe it's not true and, and doubt and, and wonder because God proves he's true over and over again throughout this entire book. And so at the end here, we just have everything built up together to this one major event that says... God is good. Don't doubt that God is good. He loves those who love him. And he provides for them. And he does everything for them. Those who have steadfast love and faith will find a reward when this life is over. You can take it to the bank. You can guarantee it. You can't guarantee many things in life, but this is something we can guarantee. As we see these women coming to the tomb, they are exalted and rewarded. The world wouldn't exalt or reward them, but Jesus does. God does because they're faithful. Because they're true to what God has desired for them to do in spite of everyone else cowering in fear and hiding in disbelief. We learn in this text that skepticism can be used to cover up the evil heart and to prevent it from enjoying all the rewards that God wants to give his people. These men who are here suppressing the truth are really just afraid. I mean, really, that's at the core of a skeptic, fear. You know, we're, we're trying to protect ourselves by being skeptical, 
right? I mean, the goal is to prevent people from hurting us. So we, we put up barriers and we think the worst in people so that whenever they're proved true, we're ready for them. But people aren't as bad as we might make them out to be. God certainly is not bad at all, and yet we're afraid that if we think he's good and he turns out to not be, then we might have wasted years of our lives. We might have wasted thousands of our dollars. We might have wasted energy and and effort. We might have lost relationships for him because uh, we we believed in him and, and he wasn't really as good as we thought he was. You see, skepticism just results in missing out. It doesn't really help us. In the grand scheme of things, it actually just takes away from the joy that we could be experiencing. When you see the contrast between the Pharisees and the women, you see that the Pharisees are cowering in fear and coming up with ways to, that it's not true. And the women are just finding joy and told, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. I think whenever we watch TV or, or movies, a lot of times we see that whole hero uh, story coming through and we want that happy ending and then we experience the happy ending and there's joy inside of us for a moment and then we're like, yeah, that, that, that would never happen in real life. <laughs> that skepticism comes into us. It's like, no, it's just not, it's not even something that's possible. But the truth is, there is a happy ending. There will be a happy ending for everybody who puts their trust in God and Jesus. So are you optimistic or are you skeptical about the promises that God has made to you? And if if you're optimistic and you say you're optimistic, how would an optimistic person live their life? What would they do if they, they truly believed that God would, pro- God would provide all that he's promised, that he would give us mercy and grace in our time of need, that he would provide for us every spiritual blessing, he would give us eternal life with an eternal inheritance in his eternal kingdom. How would that change us in our daily lives? Wouldn't we be a lot more like children? thinking about the best possible outcome which is ahead of us and looking forward to it with excitement and working toward it with this gullible, maybe uh, innocent belief that it is going to happen. Everything that God says is really going to happen. And wouldn't that create inside of us a sense of excitement and joy in knowing How would we live? What would we do? I think a lot of times we check that with thoughts like, well, if I live optimistically, and if I, if I believe that God is going to give me all those things, then I might live a sacrificial life, and I might go out there, and I might try to teach everybody the Bible, and I might try to give to people 
And then there's these fears that come in that say, well, what if people take advantage of me? What if I get humiliated or I fail? Or what if I suffer? And, and there's fears that rush over us. And we have to be careful not to let those fears blind us and keep us from the true reward that's coming. Because those who truly believe with this optimism, with this, with this faith and trust that God sees everything that we go through. He sees every time we're taken advantage of. He sees every time we're humiliated. He sees every pain, every tear, and he rewards us for the faith that we show. That should completely take away the fear and make even the worst events in our life a joy. Because God is with us. He knows everything that we're going through and he wants to bless us. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus alive. They ate with him, and they spoke to him, and they touched him. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that means there is hope for us as well. God did what he promised, and he will do what he promises. So we just need to step toward a life that is optimistic. Step away from the life that's skeptical and that's just like everybody else in the world and step toward the life that's optimistic, looking forward to the hope that we have putting trust in those around us, loving those around us, even though they may not love us, because we have hope that God will work in their hearts as well. And we need to be giving our life to Christ as we look forward to our own resurrection. We have no idea how long we'll be here. Maybe war will break out in this country at some point, and we'll have to fight for our lives or suffer horrible deaths or uh, starve to death. Who knows what will happen? But we have something to be optimistic about regardless. And that's what we're living for. That's why this is the greatest news in the history of time. Jesus is not here. He's risen from the dead. And now he lives in heaven and he mediates between us and God and he provides a sacrifice that allows for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And one day when this life is over, we will join him and be with him for all eternity. And if there's anybody here who is not enjoying that wonderful blessing, if there's anything that we can do to help you, we want to help you. Uh, if you need to make your life right, will you please come as we stand and as we sing.